One of my favorite quotes from the Psalms comes from Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know I am God. In the midst of our lives, stillness isn't something we do a lot of. Uh, In fact, uh, we measure everything in our culture by how fast you move and how often you move and how rarely you stop. It is a relentless, never-ending task from the moment you open your eyes until you lay your head down again at the end of the day. And yet, in order to know God, we must be still. Be still and know I am God. Because it's in the moments of our stillness when we recognize the the world doesn't depend on me to turn. The sun comes up whether I'm busy at work or not. Oh my gosh, the moon rises at the time of the month and goes away. The stars come out and I didn't do a daggone thing to make it happen. It is in our stillness It is in our failure and vulnerability, our tripping and falling flat on our face when we know God is God. Because it's in those moments that we know we're loved, not because of what we do, but simply because of who we are. So as we catch our breath in this moment, remember to be still. To be still and know God is God. Breathe in and breathe out. Know that every breath is a gift from God. Breathe in and breathe out. What a gift. What a gift to be alive. You know, we, we live in a, in a world where eating is not a necessity so much anymore as a habit. Uh, I find uh, that even when I'm not hungry, I need to get something to eat. I find myself going in the kitchen when I don't need to go into the kitchen. We'll be sitting there uh, re-watching for now the eighth time through Ted Lasso, ninth time through maybe, I can't remember, we've lost track, and uh, on Apple TV. And I will realize that it's, it's like 8.30. Maybe it's time for me to get a bowl of oatmeal. Uh, or uh, I could be uh, uh, doing some work in the middle of the afternoon and somehow I uh, get bored and I fill my boredom with food. I fill my uh, empty time with something, and that something ends up becoming food. Food becomes a habit. When I sit down to eat, I have to, in the morning, I'm getting better at this. We pretty much have oatmeal for breakfast seven days a week, unless something unusual happens in the world. Uh, But almost every morning, it's oatmeal. Uh, Sometimes Linda has a bowl of cereal, but it's always oatmeal for me. And I make the oatmeal pretty much the same every day. Two pots on the stove, gluten-free oatmeal, Quaker oatmeal, which 
may or may not be processed in a plant with gluten. I make those, those oatmeals. I pour them into Linda's bowl, my bowl. I put cinnamon and nutmeg and uh, ginger uh, on mine. And I put either fruit on Linda's or uh, butter and sugar, depending upon which, which we have in the house. And then I sit down and I realize sometimes I've finished a bowl of oatmeal, at least I, I did. I would realize I've finished a bowl of oatmeal and I don't even remember taking the first bite. It was gone. And so now when I have oatmeal in the morning, I try to be intentional about the eating of it. I try to make sure that each bite is one that I give thanks for, that I taste the goodness of the oats as they uh, get chewed in my mouth before I swallow them. I try to be mindful of that. Now, today's topic is a topic that we don't talk about as much uh, or much anymore in the church. Although if you watch Dr. Oz or any other number of people, they talk to you about uh, fasting and cleansing and all of those kinds of things. But fasting originally comes from uh, a religious practice. And uh, Jesus teaches about it because in his time it was prevalent for religious people to fast. And they made a big deal of it. A huge show. They, you could always tell when somebody was fasting, apparently, because they looked disheveled. They looked uh, disheartened. They looked worn out. All of those pieces, they, they had that look about them. Uh, and Jesus has some things to say about, uh, about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a kind of short piece. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about fasting but we're going to build it around this piece of, of a practice that maybe uh, you or I don't do quite as much as maybe once was done. So beginning in verse 16 of uh, chapter 6 of Matthew. And when you fast, don't look depressed like the hypocrites. They deliberately neglect their appearance to let everyone know that they're fasting. The truth is, they've already received their reward. Everyone's notice. But when you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Don't let anyone know you're fasting except your Abba God, who sees all that is done in secret. And Abba God, who sees everything that is done in secret, will reward you. This is the gospel for this morning. Thanks be to God. Food really is a necessity. I didn't mean to imply that we eat out of boredom or uh, to fill the time and that if we just stopped, it would be fine. <laughs> because it, it would be fine for a little while. And apparently, when you fast for longer periods of time, once you get past that first uh, several days of fasting, your body just says, oh, we're not going to get any food anytime soon, so we'll just... Stop sending those little signals, those little, I'm not going to make the stomach growl every 15 seconds. Um, it, it is something that we do because 
of the need to be sustained. But for me, fasting arose as a practice for us, for us to recognize in missing that meal or that day's worth of meals, if it's safe for you to do that. And by the way, if you have delicate health of any kind or even question whether you should fast, talk to your doctor first because they're the key players in this. I don't want to suggest a practice that could endanger your health. But fasting was a way of recognizing that really my whole life is a gift from God. And food is only one piece of it. You'll remember that in the temptations in the desert, when uh, Jesus is tempted in his hunger after 40 days and uh, 40 nights of fasting, after fasting for a long time, uh, he was hungry and uh, he was tempted to turn stones into bread. And Jesus' response was, people don't live by bread alone. It's not just food. We rely on God. Every heartbeat is a gift. It's not, I can't make my heartbeat. Uh, it does it moment by moment on its own. It's a reflex. It's handled by a part of my brain I don't control. Uh, and eventually, uh, if all things work out the way I know they work out for everybody else, that heart of mine is going to stop beating. And I'll be finished with my time here. My gift of life will be over. But if I don't stop and pause periodically to recognize the gift that the food on my table is, the gift that the breath I'm breathing right now is, the gift that uh, my life itself is, the fact that I can speak these words, that my heart is beating, that you are even listening. It is all a gift, the opportunity to experience love as it flows in and out. And so fasting is an opportunity to say, I'm going to set down food or something. I'm going to fast from something as a way of recognizing how much I am dependent on God. Now, there is an affirmative form of fasting that isn't about giving something up so much as standing against things. And that's this video that I showed you earlier on from is, is, uh, is based on the words of Isaiah 58. Uh, the prophets of the Old Testament were really tired of people just thinking that, oh, if I give up food once in a while, I'm gonna, God's going to owe me something. God's going to answer my prayers because I fasted. God's going to do this thing I need done because I fasted. You're not winning God's approval. You're reminding yourself of your dependence in that. But those, those prophets would say, Stop your empty fasts. Stop your empty worship. Stop the emptiness. Because they don't mean anything if it doesn't change the way you live in the world. I need you to fast from injustice. Stop oppressing your sisters and brothers because they don't look like you or act like you or come from the same place that you do or have the same means that you do. Stop it. That's something you should fast from for the rest of your life. And by the way, fast from hate. There's no room for that in your life. You don't have any space for hate because you barely make room enough for love. 
I hope you will never hear a sermon here at St. James as long as I'm the pastor and preaching that tells you who or what to hate with your life. Because that's empty. I don't need to make a list of things you might hate because chances are pretty good if you're anything like me, there are already things you do. And you need to get over them fast from hating. Fast from differentiating yourself from anyone else and thinking for any reason whatsoever, whether you showed up for worship in person, whether you're online, whether you show up later in the week, that doesn't make you any better or worse than anybody else. This is not a point system. You haven't earned another merit by coming here. I, I, you know, if I could pass out merits in some way, sure, I would. That's the way I work. I like to reward people that do what I'd like them to do. And I like to withhold rewards from those who don't. And that's just not the way God works. <laughs> I've been working with God on this. I've been trying to win God over to my side of doing things. What yeah, I could dispense this for you, God. If you just made me in charge, we wouldn't need wars anymore. We wouldn't. And, and uh, same temptation that was offered to Jesus. You know, if you just bow down and worship evil, you can have anything you want. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not for me. Fasting is a practice you and I can take up even if you, your doctor says, I don't want you to give up food because your metabolism is too unbalanced for that. This wouldn't be a good thing for you to do. You can fast from things like hate and you can fast from judgment. You can fast from injustice. You can fast from uh, extravagances I think being extravagant with yourself once in a while is perfectly fine. But when it comes at the expense of others, we can fast from pointing fingers, we can fast from hate. All of those things can be left out of our lives. But it takes practice. This series, you notice, and when Jesus... I, I, I made note of this on my Facebook feed recently, but if you don't follow Facebook, that's perfectly fine. I shared a, a, a meme that somebody else shared, which is just a picture with words on it. Uh, I, I shared one. What's very interesting to me, and probably something you already recognize, but the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, are devoted purely to practice. What does it look like if you behave like a Christian? Not what to believe. It doesn't once tell you what to believe. It tells you how to behave. I begin to wonder sometimes if Jesus even cares what you believe if you don't do anything about it. If you want to say you believe in Jesus and feel comfortable treating your neighbor like second class, then you don't really love Jesus. It's a lie you've told yourself. And we do a lot of that because it makes us feel uncomfortable to recognize in ourselves the truth. Jesus talked about things we should practice, very little about what we should believe, but very much about what we should practice. And if you read the Beatitudes, 
I don't think that by any stretch, that's chapter five, the beginning of chapter five of Matthew. If you read the Beatitudes, those aren't some esoteric pie in the sky dream. That's what Jesus wants you to do right now. To be poor in spirit, you know, to be pure of heart. All of those things, those are things Jesus wants for the kingdom now. So we got a lot of work to do. It wasn't until the third century when a Roman emperor, fourth century, when a Roman emperor called together the first council of the church and decided they would make a lot of rules that we decided that our first creed of the church was about what we should believe. It doesn't say a word about what we should do. Now, I think that if you're really a follower of Jesus, it should show in the things and the way that you act, the things that you think, the things you say to one another, the presence you bring into a room. Love and hope and joy and encouragement. That's something we carry with us. We can fast from those other things like hate and inflicting sadness and pain. We can fast from those and drink and eat richly from the practices that lead to the gifts of the Spirit, to the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc. Fasting is something you can do in your everyday life, and when you're intentional about it, you also begin to recognize something, how easily you fall into the pattern of gluttonously consuming things like hate or entertainment or anything that takes you out of the moment and lets you avoid your pain. Rather than face the pain and struggle you have and trust that God will carry you through. When I fast, and I'll be honest with you, of all the sermons I preach when I talk about fasting, it's the thing with which I am least acquainted. I have tried physical fasting a couple of times in life. Um, it's inconvenient. <laughs> it's inconvenient. If you're married, you have children, you got to watch them eat. Sometimes you got to cook for them, and then you're not going to eat. What kind of thing is that? Uh, so, probably out of laziness, I never, uh, not won't say never, but I have rarely fasted. You know, I've given up a thing here or now, here or there, a lunch, a dinner. Um, and I encourage you, if that's something that you're physically able to do, to give that a try. But in the end, what fasting invites us to recognize is how empty our life is without God. And the thing we're really yearning for, even when we're eating that oatmeal, is to feel full, to fill that empty hole inside of us that's yearning for something bigger. So when we actually recognize it by fasting, we recognize that what we truly yearn for is not hate, but love. Not hopelessness, but hope. Not falsehood, but truth. 
deep truth. That's what we yearn for. And those are things God gives us. Those are things God gives us. Every meal that I eat, I think I'm the author of my feast. And it's a lie. I didn't grow that food. I didn't package it. I didn't bring it to the grocery store. I brought it to my house. And if I'm lucky, I cooked it. Sometimes I eat things cold right out of the can because I'm too lazy to cook it. But in the end, I'm not the author of that feast. That oatmeal, those black beans, the steamed vegetables that I have for lunch every day, those are a gift, received as a gift. And I need to be reminded of what a gift all of this is. All of it is a gift from God. And I celebrate that. So I encourage you, if it's in keeping with your physical well-being, to occasionally fast. You might try, for instance, a, a day that's coming up that would be appropriate to a fast would be Good Friday. And, uh, you know, you could fast from sundown on Good Friday until sundown on Saturday. Uh, if you want to do a long fast. Or you could just give up dinner on that night. Or maybe you've given up something for Lent. You know, chocolate or coffee or ice cream or whatever. Whatever that fast is, let it be a reminder that everything you have to begin with is a gift, including your very life. And the only thing that will ever fill the yearning in your life, in your gut, in your mind, and in your heart is God. So practice fasting, and if it's not physical food fasting, fast from judgment. And when you catch yourself, let it go. Fast from prejudice. When you catch yourself, let it go. But if you're fasting from those things, be intentional. Pay attention because God can teach us in those moments. And God's going to love you whether you do or don't. You can't earn a, you can't earn a single brownie point with God um, by fasting or not. But it could be worth trying giving up some things in your life, the things that don't matter as much as you sometimes think they do. Particularly anything that stands between you and God. A couple of things. We like to pray every week. Uh, and so I come over here, pass off my Bible, and Linda gives me a list of um, things to uh, mention. St. James has food distribution tomorrow at the West End Food Pantry. And so I uh, pray for all of those who will be serving in the pantry and those, to, those, whom, those who will receive that which is served. Um, it's a special ministry that we've had that really came to the front. You know, we were serving just a few families prior to the pandemic and it just burgeoned during the pandemic and it hasn't really 
gone back down completely by any stretch to where it was originally. There are people who are hungry and uh, making a difference in their lives is a form of fasting. Um, I received word on Friday uh, Friday morning, someone who has been an active person in our, uh, our faith community over the years. The pandemic came. Uh, Craig and his family, uh, his mom and dad, Doris and Richard, Dick, would come with Craig. On Friday morning, Craig, who has struggled with epilepsy his entire life, had a major seizure on Friday morning and uh, died. So you might remember them if you... Uh, were in person at St. James as the family that sat in the back. Um, when they used to come as a family, Dick used to walk with a cane mostly, but sometimes with a walker. Um, and uh, Doris would sit back there, uh, and as would Craig. So we keep the Alvord family in our prayers at this time of uh, loss. Craig was just 56. Um, and uh, he will be missed, he will be missed. So keep Craig's family in your prayers. Uh, they're going to do the funeral back in Texas where he's, they're originally from, but then there might be some form of memorial in the future and they will work, we'll work that out. And I'll let you know if you'd like to be a part of that. Um, this week on Thursday, uh, the CEO of Appalachia Service Project, Walter Crouch, is having uh, bypass surgery, open heart bypass surgery. So I want to invite us to be in prayer for Walter. Uh, I would also like to invite us uh, to be in prayer. I have gotten to know through my work with Appalachia Service Project, um, the IT guy for Appalachia Service Project, Skip. And... Uh, Skip's son runs on his high school uh, cross-country team. Well, three of the young men, not including Skip's son, were out running and were hit by a car. Two were seriously injured and, as I understand it, are in the hospital. One was killed. Uh, and so I want us to pray for their families. I don't know the young men's names. Uh, I'm not even sure they're all young men. I mean, they could be young women on the uh, cross-country team as well. But I want us to be in prayer for them, for their families, for Skip and his son. It is always tragic when you lose a child. It's just unexpected. Um, and for parents, it's a tough time. And for young people to see their friends be killed and or injured is very hard to make sense of. It seems like there's so much life ahead. So I would ask that you keep them in, in prayer. Um, as we talked about last week, prayer is an opportunity. I'm gonna start, we're gonna start with silent prayer. And then uh, I will briefly uh, pray in sentence form, but then I want to name people like Skip and Walter, Craig's family, uh, the world, 
the people of Ukraine, and as I name them, I want your heart to go out. Uh, I, I want your intention to be lifted. I want your prayer, to, your prayers, be lifted with mine. So I'll leave a silent moment in there uh, for us to lift, lift one another, and to lift those in need. So let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. Gracious and loving God, every heartbeat we have is a gift from you. Every breath that we draw is a gift from you. Every moment of love we feel is a gift from you. And the funny thing is, even when we don't feel it, your love is still pouring out on us. And maybe we're just not in tune. We pray, O oh God, you would tune our hearts to love what you love, who you love in this world. We are aware personally of, of concerns in our world and those things we're going to lift to you by name. And in our hearts, we will lift them together. Lord, we pray for Craig's family, for Dick and Doris and Sonny and others who cared for him. We pray for our siblings here on the west end of Alexandria and the food pantry that serves those in need. We pray for the hands of those who will serve and the hearts and bellies and hands of those who will receive. For Walter, For Skip and his family, his son, his teammates, and his teammates' families. For the work of Appalachia Service Project. For the people of Ukraine. for the people of Burkina Faso, for people everywhere who suffer and struggle, for our community of faith on the West End. Lord, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus and we pray now using the prayer he taught his disciples.
Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. 